Welcome to Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Snell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hi, I'm Carolyn Ford. Thanks for joining us for So What? Tech Transforms and Tech Transforms' first ever live episode. So I'm joined by my co-host, Tracy Bannon, Senior Principal at MITRE. Hey, Tracy, how are you? Hey, I am excited to be experimenting live, right? So this is all about getting things out there and trying in front of everybody. Let's see if we succeed or fail today. <laughs> I know, I'm a little bit nervous. I've never done the live thing before. So. <laughs> all right, as long well, as you told your family and nobody kind of walks behind in a towel or something, you should be okay. Right. I know because I don't do the weird background. So yeah, hopefully none of that will happen. Um, today we're, we're going to be talking about psychological safety. And um, our guest on Hang has been delayed. So when he joins us, um, it'll be great. And we're, we're going to just roll with the psychological safety topic right now. And hopefully Don will be able to join us. So, go ahead. <laughs> ah, yay! Hi, Dong. Yay! There's Dong. Perfect timing. I am timing, so sorry, dude. ladies. I no. was, I, I was looking at the time. They're like, okay, I got a little bit of time. You know, you got, and then and then I just and I was like, yeah. Oh wait a minute. Are you so being sorry, human and authentic with us that you were delayed because you were not balancing your calendar well? Okay, I love it. I love it. I, yeah. We just getting started, and it's awesome. We are live. Um, this oh is the first goodness. time that we've done this live. We normally record um, and play with it just a little bit, and we're not today. And actually, I was thinking about how that is so perfect in the spirit of psychological safety. Like, we're putting it out there. We are trying this right now. If we have an epic failure, well, we'll own it. So, <laughs> okay. I know. Usually, I tell myself if I say anything really stupid, we can like edit it out post show. So, I'm going to really try. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we are welcome, we're going to be authentic today yeah well welcome thank and thank you so much for joining us and i'm going to ask you um to introduce yourself and tell us um what you're doing these days great question my name my name is dong hang i'm the deputy director for platform one it's an organ it's an air force organization that provides development security and operations platform capabilities for people that want to build great software for the DOD. Uh, and so we, we are super busy right now. We're actually in the middle of a, we, we do our internal monthly get together, a call our cohort um, because, you know, a lot of our teams are, are very, are very much virtual. There are many places across the U S and so we feel that one of the things that we needed to have more, you know, human to human face time to work on, the challenges we have within the program or within our organization, right? So it's working on the business. Uh, so, so that's why it's been like kind of crazy, but I know that this is uh, something that we've been scheduling and planning and I'm super excited about it. So I was able to step away and, and actually come talk to you, to you find people. Yeah. We really appreciate it. And I, the topic that we're going to talk about today, the term in this context, psychological safety, it's kind of new to me and, as I started unpacking it, 
um, I realized it's really not new at all, right? This has been around a long time. And I even have thought about my career and how, how psychological safety has played within my career. But will you, so, so the headlines, it's, it's been, you know, kind of top of mind in the headlines lately. And I'll, I'll just give the definition from 1990. So researcher William A. Khan defined psychological safety as being able to show and employ oneself without fear of negative consequences to self-image status or career. So now you talk about what it means to you, Dong, and what it means in your role at Platform One and how you've been able to implement it and make it work. Oh my gosh, that's like a giant, that's like a oh, week-long was, conversation. Was a big <laughs> I know, I know. So distill it. So Dong, I'll ask it differently. Distill it to what does psychological safety mean to you, period? Just that little that little phoneme right there, that little bit right there. Yeah. Um I think I think ultimately is psychological safety is it's um it's it's almost like having your your psychological needs met so that you you don't have to be concerned about why you what, what you do why you do it and you know it you have it's not a concern anymore it's become so transparent that you know you are heard you're a, you can be authentic and not be judged and then you can just focus on being who you truly should be and who you are and be authentic and working and be able to, you know, be yourself with other people. Um, I want to double down on a word you said, Dong, a double down on it. Authentic. I heard you say it at least twice. If I had to put together a definition, I would just start with the ability to be authentic Mm -hmm. because, uh, because we're, we're scared of that, right? We're scared of, um, putting ourselves out there and it could be anything from any part of ourselves. Like, you know, whether it's, it's hair color, the way you dress, where you grew up, it could be all kinds of different things, but it's, we are trying to get people to be more authentic across the board. And that includes putting out, a, putting out their opinions, right. And mm-hmm. letting them know that it's safe, right. Um, to have those opinions out there. That's, I think why it's cropping up so much in our work these days as a, We've been heads down trying to get stuff done. And I don't want to hear your opinion because I just need you to do what I told you to do. And uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of shifting yeah. a little bit. We're learning a little bit about that. Are you, are you mm-hmm. seeing that as well, that we're, we need to bring that authenticity into our daily lives, into our workplace too? Yeah. Um, I think I think ultimately everyone strives to be. They want to be authentic. I think it's a natural inclination as a person to be authentic. That want that wants that, and but you know you you, but you also bring other you know biases and, and stuff. And you come into an organization um, as complex as Platform One or a lot of other organizations that have a lot of different types of people with different backgrounds. And then suddenly you know you can be authentic to your friends pretty easily because you have the same context and history. But then when you come to a, a work environment where you have a lot of different people, different backgrounds, um, suddenly it's like, well, your authentic self may not be something that someone feels safe. And, and I, yeah, so I, I think it's a very complicated scenario when you start um, building up upon, you know, a smaller tribe. And, and, and I remember that the, 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 I was listening to NPR, they talked about like how people, you know, we are naturally, you know, there's only a certain 
sets of people that we know very well, right? Because of just the limitations of, a, you know, time and just physical physicality of being next to someone. There are some people you know very well and the people mm-hmm. that you know maybe not as well and, and so forth. The challenges that you know, back when we were growing up in, as humanity, you know, we were in small tribes. And so everyone knew each other. You kind of built that rapport and you have, you can be authentic in that context. And that was, that was it. And then when we started having these societies kind of bridge these tribes together into larger tribes, and then suddenly it became less, you know, personal, then all of a sudden there's a lot of different interactions, right? The, 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 the comp system of, of people and organizations kind of come to play that okay. scaling of what you do as interpersonal relations being authentic doesn't scale. And so that is a challenge that I find for both just in places I've been to, but also, you know, going back to your original question, Carolyn, about Platform One, you know, we started about, you know, we're about almost three years old now. And when, when you're a startup organization and it was like a very small group of people that worked together and they were of like minds, they came together because they, they, they believed in the mission and, you know, so voluntary and they knew each other very well before they got together, right? They had an established rapport. They could be psychologically safe with each other, be authentic, and actually do like things. As we scale, we got more people, contractors, civilians, government, you know, military, whatever. Now you're bringing in other elements of different perspectives, um, backgrounds, motivations, and so now you're trying to achieve. You can't really achieve the same things in terms of being authentic in that environment, in this new environment, versus when it was before. So, what do you what do you do? to foster the psychological safety, you know, as the leader of this team, do you do things consciously like driving towards psychological safety? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be really vulnerable right now. And I talked to Trace about this, the, just to kind of answer your question, but not directly at first is it's been tough to be that leader in this environment. We've gone through a lot of changes within Platform One in terms of not just the people that I mentioned, but also the missions, the expectations have grown, right? They were successful. The people that did the work were very successful, got a lot of attention. And now you have the the weight of the world now on you. Because when you started off, there was not a lot of expectations, right? You're just a start ragtag team of people. And if they didn't really make any dent in the world, no one would have heard about them, right? It's not a big deal. Now that we actually have great successes that comes with the baggage of actually maintaining and actually exceeding the expectation that comes with a lot of pressure. And so, you know, that is something that we've been, quite frankly, we've been struggling with is trying to make sure that we provide enough, you know, we have enough of the work to do. I mean, making sure that people don't get burned out, right? That's, that's really the the first place of where we're trying to make sure we, we temper expectations in terms of like how much work we're supposed to do. We, we, you know, fortunately, we hire a lot of, you know, motivated people that uh, that come to Platform One, or if they're not, necessarily they don't know what's going on. And we try to, you know, kind of get them to understand the mission and really feel like this is where they want to be and why they're doing God's work to be a power part of Platform One. That being said, once you have that, whether they're, you know, with that motivation or being still that motivation, right? It's a lot more, it's really difficult to try to say, hey, when, when things are happening and you're like, hey, uh, we need help. People will step up to the plate and work the extra hours after hours on weekends, things like that, which is great in the short term, but long term, it burns people out. And then what happens is you, you add that, that pressure and that mm-hmm. being over, over burden, plus 
you know, yeah, we don't work in person all the time. So maybe a lot of the work that we do, maybe we get together, it's transactional. Like I'm, I'm only meeting with someone when I have something to, you know, to talk about, like a meeting. I don't necessarily meet with everyone, not me personally, because I have so many different people I got to interact with. I don't necessarily have the time to spend the quality time with people as much as I could in some areas. And you'd multiply that with everyone else having the same sort of issues. And then what happens is, you know, little things trigger people, right? Make people make comments, maybe they make a joke in a meeting. But again, they didn't have the rapport established in some, before the meeting or after the meeting. And then the joke comes off kind of, you know, not so great. Or they make a comment like they're not satisfied with something and they're just like exasperated. And, you know, we, we, we really try to um, get people to be authentic in that sense. But then what happens is when you make a comment that you meant one way and, it's ex- and, and you're exasperated, someone takes it out as a slight and it becomes yeah. a considered microaggression, right? So I'm, I'm giving you a very complex scenario there that, that that I've experienced quite a bit here. And I think a lot of people, you know, Tracy's just nodding heads as she knows, but I, I don't want to say everything, but Tracy, your, your thoughts. No, it's, it's, I think you bring up probably the heart of this is that a term like psychological yeah. safety is a term, just like we say cloud and DevOps and agile, we say all these words and there's so much complexity, so many dimensions against it. You, you brought up this, I thought was really interesting, and it got my brain going about the scope of our ability to be authentic, right? You're super authentic with your family. You're super mm-hmm. authentic with a certain group of friends. You become more authentic, but you have to be kind of intentional about it with your work teams. But then I'm, I'm, what I heard you say is, and, it, and I realized that I've experienced this, they're kind of scopes of authenticity or scopes of psychological safety, like in your in your team that's the closest to you with the people who are my work spouses, right? Those people who are day in and day out that we're talking with all the time, we're texting, et cetera. There's a different degree of that feeling of being able to be authentic and having psychological safety than to the next level, whether it's a level up or a level of newness, peer level newness, or a level of more junior people. So that adds to it. As a leader, I've got to be cognizant of my ability to both positively and negatively impact other people. Like I know that by virtue of sending an email to new, newer in career individuals, if I happen to send that at six or seven o'clock at night because I happen to be free at six or seven o'clock at night, got my feet up, I'm sipping my Merlot and I'm you know, getting ready for whatever, the reaction that they have is immediately that that someone senior has sent something to me. I need to look at this right away. There's pressure associated with it. And that's just a, a micro example, a tiny example of something where I need to be more deliberate in not sending emails to folks off hours, right? That cognitive overload in thinking about how they might take a joke and, and my jokes are different from my, my posse, right? The, the, the work spouse, what we joke about is a little bit different because I know where their minds are. So jeepers, creepers, scopes of autonomy for teams and scopes of, of psychological safety and leadership. And gosh, no wonder this so is I'm, so crunchy. I'm hearing like different aspects of psychological mm-hmm. safety. So First, how we interact with each other and how we feel safe with one another and knowing that, you know, Tracy sends a 
midnight email. I don't need to respond and she'll be fine if I don't respond (laughs) until, you know, tomorrow's work hours. Mm -hmm. So there's that part of it, but there's also the part about if you see something wrong in the process, in the development, in the product that, you know, back in the day, only C-suite got to, got to say, got to pull that cord and say, stop the production line. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a problem. And I think that psychological safety is not just the personal interactions and how we interact with one another, but the ability to raise your hand and say, this is, this is wrong. Like the space shuttle is going to blow up. We need to back up. So Mm. there's, there's truth to that. So Carolyn, I'm going to pull, I'm going to pull the thread on that. So you apply the same kind of approach to it in order for people to feel right. And this is, this is a feeling in order for them to trust that there's not going to be a reprisal. They need to see that. So they need to feel it with their peers, but they need to see that behavior. They need to understand with their leadership, what's going to happen as well. And so Mm -hmm. if you're leading by example, and you're allowing yourself, like Dong was just very vulnerable, and if his team hears this, there's so much authenticity to that, and there's so much leadership just in being exposed that way. They begin to realize that they can raise their hand. If I say, I disagree with that, I'm a leader, and I disagree with that, if I turn around to them and ask them for their thoughts on this and give them the opportunity, open opportunity, there's there's a lot of cultivating that has to happen Got to tell you, everybody doesn't immediately say, yep, I see something wrong. I feel comfortable in raising my hand about it. No, it depends on the the human, right? So you've got to have that. Okay, but my question to follow up to Dong is, I was raised by a military father. So I understand chain of command very well. (laughs) Even (laughs) though my dad encouraged me to speak out and, you know, I'm definitely my my father's daughter, different episode. So what I want to know is, what I want to know is how do you reconcile the, Hey, um, you know, I'm a lowly private, but I see something wrong here with chain of command or have you been able to? That's an amazing question. So one of the things that we try to do here at platform one, and, and it, again, I, I know that we, I said it's an air force organization. We do have military people in it. Uh, and civilians and contractors, and and it's you know in the DoD, but at the same time, it's this is one of the most progressive mm-hmm. organizations that I've ever been in, and I've been in you know in terms of as an organization. And one of the things that we try to highlight and emphasize is people, even at the lowest level, can can speak up, and they're encouraged to be in, in a lot of the different meetings that we have, whether it's at the technical sleep meetings you know, and or at, at the more senior meetings where we have much more strategic level discussions. I've seen people that, and I know a lot of when you're a junior, you know, you don't know a lot. So you maybe get a little shy and you don't necessarily, you know, want to say stuff. But at the same time, I have people that have felt, and this is, we, we have people that even were residences. So we basically have a program called a residency program where we actually bring in other people, military and, um, and civilian and government civilians from other organizations to come in for about a six month period and they, they get embedded with us and work. Some of these are, are, are you know, are captains, um, some mm-hmm. maybe some E5s, uh, and some of them are, uh, you know, lower level GS employees. And I've seen uh, in some instances where they do speak up, they say, you know, and not like, not like this is wrong, but more like I have an opinion about this, right? Mm-hmm. Which is kind of a starting point. It's like, I have an opinion about this, or I've seen 
or or I don't or even a good one would be like I don't understand how this works, and they do it in a larger audience. And I've seen the audience or our our group, and this is I think a testament to the culture we have. We don't necessarily we don't make fun of them. We don't go, oh wow, you should have known that, or we don't say, you know, hey, God, like kind of like okay, well, we'll, we'll take it offline. You, we'll, you know, we don't. People will, will are like, hey, let's like, let's talk about it. Now, sometimes we rabbit hole, right? And that's one of the problems, challenges we have is we rabbit hole quite a bit because some of those things happen. But, it's, but, but I think on the on the positive side is that it's like, you know, people are willing to engage regardless of where you come from, what, what rank you, you hold, and even the experience you bring in. So let me, let me add a little di- a, a, an observation. So I was not raised in a military environment, and I am now military adjacent. I have bought into the passion of helping the DOD. It just, it, it blows my mind that these amazing individuals are, do all the things that they do. And I've been exposed to the need for command and control. And I've been exposed to exactly what what Dong is talking about in software and in the design of software in bringing value to the end user or to the warfighter. It isn't command and control because we need to have that collaboration. So it's a different dichotomy. It's a different need on the battlefield when we're engaging. There's command and control. The only right, so there is a need. There's a right time for command and control, and there are times where, to Dong's point, you absolutely need to be fostering this multi-dimensional culture because it is by that collaboration of new and level has a lot of energetic new ideas. Where somebody else who's been doing this a little bit longer sometimes gets codified in what they've been doing for the last two, five, ten, fifteen years. The only way to bring that innovation to the table in Dong's world is to get everybody together. If you just went with leadership dictating down in a command and control style, well, you ain't going to get beautiful, delightful software that truly helps people to accomplish their mission. That's such a great point. There's there's a time and place for both styles, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Carolyn, I'm just curious, like, I know this is, um, it's, uh, it's about the rest of us, but I just wanted, like, what your father, what military branch was he? Um, National Guard. National Guard, okay. Uh, uh, like Army or anything? Army, Colonel. Army. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I, I'd say um, one aspect of the military, I think it's maybe not, um, I know that the whole command and control style, uh, you know, obviously a very military perspective or, you know, fully military. I think there's a side of the military that people don't, maybe um, appreciate as much is there's a side where it's actually less command and control style. And there's a, there's a term, especially in the army I've learned and, and it's called mission command. So there's a separation mm-hmm. between central, you know, centralized command, decentralized execution is another phrase that's used. And the idea is that, you know, and this is really um, from, you know, before we had really good IT and communications right between the generals and the, in the back, in the, in the backfield, and then the people doing the fighting in the front is that, because they couldn't be everywhere at once, the generals couldn't be everywhere telling people what to do. Yes, they would just maybe delegate it to people to t- tell what to do, but there's obviously they know that there's a problem of the telephone ping pong where you like, you tell them, I need to do it exactly this way. And then the next guy says it, you know, slightly different. And by the time it gets to the guy that executes, it's going to be completely off base. It recognizes that that's too slow, that it's not effective. And, and so really what, what people, what the military did back in the past was say, look, here's my intent. Here's what I'm trying to get after. The commander's intent is another phrase that's used. And then what happens is based on that intent, 
you have people that interpret that intent and then they basically execute that based on the intent and then report back, right? So it's really, there's a, a style of delegation in the military that's not really heard a lot. I mean, again, you, you hear the, you see the stories about people telling what people to do at maybe at a very tactical level, like the guy is right there in front of you telling what to do, or, you know, maybe in the, in the office, the general telling me what to do. But there's a huge range. It's, it's a huge bureaucracy, right? There's a huge range mm-hmm. of things that have to happen between the general in the backfield and the people doing the fighting. And so they have to do this. I, this is my, what I intent is. And I trust you with your skills, knowledge, and training to actually get it done however you think it's the best to do it because you have your closest to the problem. You're the one that's, your life is on the line. You're the one, your skin is right there. I'm the one as a general or whatever. I'm just in the backfield, but you're the one that's living it day to day. So I trust you to make the decision at the end of the day. So that's not, I don't think that's something that people can know or think about or hear about or associate with the military as much. Well, but to if that sentiment and mm-hmm. that kind of leadership can be communicated and, and believed in, I mean, that's psychological safety, right? To say, Absolutely. here's my objective and my intent, and I trust you to do, to make it happen. It, so, exactly. And I trust you to tell me when it's a bad idea too. So yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. And I, I was just thinking, I'm reading um, an oldie, but a goodie creativity Inc by Ed Catmull. And he's mm-hmm. the founder of Pixar. And he talks about, he realizes that people aren't speaking up, people aren't feeling safe. And he walks into the boardroom and he realizes that there's a physical configuration in their conference room that really screams, we don't care what any of you say, if you're not sitting in this chair or this chair, keep it zipped. Mm -hmm. And he said, we immediately like reconfigured. And I, I guess I'm, I'm going to throw you another curveball. Have you ever done anything like that intentional, like realized, oh, the way this room is set up is not good? Oh. <laughs> so I'll give an idea to jumpstart right. you, Don. Yeah, yeah. I don't lead meetings that I call at times. Like I, I, I need this meeting for this reason. And as a leader, I need it. I will work with somebody else and say, I want to be a participant. I don't want to be there in, you know, like I don't want to be at the head of the table without people being able to. So putting us at all at a round table or putting us in a huddle together, right? Evening it out is something Mm -hmm. that I, I really try to do. And I try to judiciously use my mute button and listen a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, it's oh my goodness. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to pull two threads, but the first one more personal. Well, they're both personal, but one's a funny story. So um, one of my one of my roles, uh, I was I'm also an Air Force Reservist, and I used to support um, uh, European Command, and so they did this really big, massive inter theater meeting where we had all these different you know senior people coming in, and so. Um, the so I was my 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 job because I'm you know just one of the guys there temporarily was to help arrange the room, put you know placards right you know, names okay. of people or positions right. Yeah. And it's military, it's very formal, and so it's like you can move the tables around things like that. Make a long story short, it was you know I I arranged I, I you know we first because there was there was like probably at least you know 50 or 100 people 100 to 100 people like in ten, the number of people in that room. 
And so they, 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 so you're trying to figure out, okay, there's going to be like a, the meat, the U shape meat, um, uh, table mm-hmm. in the middle Then they did extra, an extra U outside of that. So now there's like two concentric U's. Right. And then it's like, who's going to sit next to whom who's going to sit behind like that whole. And then, then they had a guy come in and he was like, I have a protocol background. And so we ended up spending like three hours ranging or rearranging these packards around who was, and, and, you know, to me, it's like, you know, there's some obvious people, like the most senior person in the middle, and then you mm-hmm. kind of put the recipes on the side and then you put like, maybe, you know, there's some obvious ones and there's less obvious ones. And they're built on these relationships in uh, between the people themselves and the organizations they sit in. Highly complex. I, I would whatever wish that upon my worst enemies to do that again, personally. Um, now, so that's one aspect. The other aspect that, that another story that I'd like to share is when I, my two jobs ago, you know, I was in charge of, you know, quite a few, few people coming into the Navy. And one of the first things I intentionally did was, you know, we, you typically have, again, like a rectangular, a very long rectangular conference room table, right? So mm-hmm. in the military, the head person sits at the very end, right? And then everyone sits on the sides and then and you have a, a screen on TV. And so I was very deliberate in terms of saying, you know what, I'm not sitting at that very head. I'm going to sit in the middle. And, and the reason why I did that was, well, I've seen examples of, I know like when President Obama was in charge or they, they were sit, they would, they would sit in the middle. And I felt like, you know, being at the very end, you know, you don't, I don't get to be like the distance between me and the, and everyone else physically, yeah. you're like, it's, it's, it's uh, the average distance was a lot further, but if I'm in the middle, then the average distance between anyone is, you know, it's a lot shorter, right? Cause I'm closer to everyone in the middle. And when I did that, the, the team, I think it got confused. My <laughs> first few times why I'm sitting no, there. No, you're right. You're and, right. And it, was, and it was really interesting. And of course I didn't, when I started the job, I didn't really say much either. So that freaked him out. Because <laughs> I was listening. Wait, and so you're so, listen you know, mode, and you're sitting really close to them. You know, I'd be like, okay, who's 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 the creepastic guy. guy here? What is this thing that's going on here? But exactly. how did it play out then? How did it play? Because you're right. Yeah. That idea of me not leading my own meetings is, you know, is virtually is essentially the same thing. Right. I'm not sitting at the head of the table. How'd that play out for you in the in that role? Like, how did they did they eventually yeah. warm up to it, or did they kind of keep yeah, you I, I, a little push I away? Think, you know, my, I think you know, my deputy, he was a very old school um, Navy, Navy officer guy. And there were times when I would sit, you know, in the front, depending on the, the situation, the meetings and the people that were participating. If it was a meeting that was like internal to my team only, I would typically try to sit there like in the middle, right? Because, you know, they, they would know me better. Again, context and people knowing who you are, right? And being authentic. And so um, I, I think for, for the most part, you know, I, I was able to, to like, I felt more connected, even though I'm just sitting there, right? You feel more connected mm-hmm. than some people, especially there were individuals. And I was in a very IT centric technical organization as well, but we had a lot of supporting people in that organization that did like a lot of the acquisitions, the finance piece. And these are typically, and, and costs, and they were typically women, you know, and I'll throw that out. And, and one of the things that struck me was I've never, I was never, I had never been in an organization where I had as many women in, in that organization as I was in there. Mm-hmm. But also they were playing these roles where, you know, typically not in the driver's seat in an IT organization. It's not your supporting. But but what I was trying to do, and, and, and it was that I, I, I elevated, I tried to elevate them during these meetings to say, you know, we, we maybe there's some hot topic, we're debating over it. And it's really technical, but there's also some other things, you know, things that go with it. Right. And then I would ask, I would ask the, the financial person or the cost person, hey, what are your thoughts? 
And, and a lot of times, you know, either they said, you know, like they go along with it or sometimes they said, hey, what about this? And it was like seeking that alternative perspective, both in terms of, you know, the, the, the role they played as well as just, you know, again, I hate to say it, we were a lot of men, right, in this technical role. And having a different perspective about the organization, the relationships, what the effects are, and also just, you know, it, it was really empowering. And I, and I, at least I felt like I was trying to empower them and I got, and I got a lot of back from that. And so I built up, I felt like I built up a really good relationship with those other people that don't normally play primary roles in these technical organizations. So you changed your physical, like the configuration, your, your yes. physical proximity, mm-hmm. and you asked for feedback. Like you're, you just said you're talking, you're asking for feedback from people that you maybe normally wouldn't be so proactive. Not that their feedback wouldn't be welcome, but you're actually reaching out to them saying, right. what do you think? You're stepping yeah. outside your comfort zone. I'm sorry, Don. <laughs> <laughs> but you are, you're oh, stepping yeah. outside your comfort zone a little bit with these folks. Like you might not have been interacting with them before, but you're getting more holistic. And the more that you get holistic and the more that you're bringing people along with it, actually the more dynamic that conversation gets. I mean, if you're asking the finance person, you normally wouldn't have asked them and they start to weigh in. You do get a very different perspective and a lot more insights. Right. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's about value, right? It's, it's, it's bringing it into finance, right? Like we, the technical guys love to build solutions and they love to make things, people happy with solutions. But the problem is like, can you afford it? And mm-hmm. so, so we, we have, so that's, and I was part of it. It's an acquisition organization too, but you know, we didn't heavily rely on that. And so we have to make sure that those voices are heard and they can provide perspective. And it's also two way street because sometimes you have folks that they're not as engaged because they don't mm-hmm. understand what's going on. And so it's also my way to say, hey, let me engage you. Make sure you're still following the conversation, even though it's not at the deepest level, but at least they, they have the highlights and then we can engage. And then it also demonstrates to everyone else, especially the technical people, hey, like I value those ideas. And so you should have the same similar different similar conversations, even offline, right? Because I'm expecting that holistic right. value proposition discussion versus just this is a cool toy that we're going to build for someone. Yeah. There's a question over in the comment section that was brought up. And the question is, and I think we can really double down on this pretty quickly. Are there some common practices or activities that you've seen that might not be effective in your organization? So that right. might not be effective to foster the psychological safety. Right. Mm-hmm. right. I think that Psychological safety needs to be something that is recognized for not just the people. I know we, it's a lot of discussions about people that are doing the work, but I think it also needs to, ex- we, we have to extend our courtesy. And I, I know it sounds kind of odd in my position, but to even the, the middle managers, right? The, and I'm, I'm a middle manager, right? I, I have people that I report to and I have people mm-hmm. that I, have, I take care of and, and make sure that they're, you know, they're, they're doing what they need to do too. And one of the th- challenges with that is, you know, I've seen some, my bosses, you know, they, they are under pressure from their bosses who are then right. under pressure from their bosses to get stuff done, to do all this stuff. And so sometimes that psychological safety, psychological safety doesn't extend very well um, into their organization because the greater organization doesn't have that. And I'm not saying that we as leaders um, shouldn't continue to fight for our people because, hey, I don't feel safe because I get paid very well for what I do. And, 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 and what I'm, I'm charged to do. And so mm-hmm. I know that I can't, you know, I, I'm not in the position to say, hey, you know what, I can't do this really well. I can't do it. So my, but my point is that, you know, everyone's human. And so I, 
you know, we say we want to make sure that we understand that even people in positions of authority or charge, mm-hmm. they need to have the same psychological safety. And so if you don't have that, or it's like not very common, then it's really hard to expect the people that work for them to have that as well. Yeah. I mean, if, if we're going to distill that, it's, it has to be on the vertical. It cannot yes. just exist on the horizontal. So if you, if you, and, and Dong, I know you, you know, we, we <laughs> we're friends and colleagues. I know you afford that. And you're right. If it doesn't come from above you, if, if you know, there's sometimes there need to be difficult conversations where Tracy turns around and says, okay, I'm, I'm working with my team on this. I need you leader to invest in this with me. And sometimes you get it. And sometimes they are under too much pressure uh, to be able to, to react to it the way you would think so. So um, yeah, if it's not there on the vertical, it'll, it can really dilute the horizontal, can really dilute your ability to be impactful on the horizontal. Yeah. Well, Carolyn, what do you think? I mean, you think like a, what, what's your answer to the question? Well, I was just, so like I said, I, I kind of, went through the journey of my career and thinking about when I felt psychologically safe and when I didn't. And, and I thought about, you know, early on in my career, I had this maybe arrogant, naive confidence where I felt really psychological, psychologically safe. Like it didn't even occur to me not to feel safe. And then somewhere between there and here in the Mm -hmm. middle, not so long ago, I started to realize that, somehow like I had lost that confidence and I wasn't, I didn't, there have been, there's been a lot of times where I've not felt psychologically safe, but I didn't realize it at the time. Right. Isn't that weird? Like I'm looking back on it now and I'm like, Oh, like I remember several years ago, one of the v, a VP in a room turned to me and said, Carolyn, what do you think? And I literally just froze. I was like, somebody help me disappear because why is he asking my opinion? I'm just here to take orders. And that's not, that's actually not my authentic self at all. Like I say, if I, if I feel like something's wrong, um, I have a career coach that I wish I would have known about career coaches my whole career. And she actually pointed out, helped me realize that I um, needed to ask for what I need mm-hmm. and set, set boundaries. The, those two things were far more scarier to me yeah. than, than talking about a work thing, like saying, oh, I don't think this will work because A, B, and C. But to say, actually, I don't, I don't do 5 a.m. meetings. Is that okay? <laughs> Well, so you, you bring up a whole bunch of different, right? We're talking about a really crunchy, really diverse, really complex topic here. One of the things you brought up actually was where you are in your life journey. Like, mm-hmm. I think that there's a generational aspect too to psychological safety. I see new in career, brand new, coming out of college, coming out of high school, and they are... Um, from their upbringing, so used to being, you know, the parents getting down at their level and asking them their opinion, that they automatically have a sense of psychological safety, like, you need my opinion right now, right? And then I think they get, as I'm observing this, I see situational awareness creep in. 
as they're in their level for a little bit, as they're exposed to things, as they get their tail feathers singed, because maybe that opinion at that point wasn't the right time. It was a good thought, but they needed to find a different way to express it. Uh, then they, they kind of grow into that. And I think that that leads us to where we are now. Like I feel a sense of a different sense of psychological safety now than what I felt at different levels and different areas and different times in my career. So that's just observational. I, I do think that there is a um, length of career and diversity of the different types of positions that you've been in that impact, you know, how much you seize on that, how much you grasp for that authentic uh, experience uh, or not. Do you see that, Dong? Like you've gotten, you've got folks across the spectrum career-wise too. Do you see any element of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I was so used to for the longest time being the youngest person in the room, and now I'm like looking over and the people, and you know, I spend majority of the time with people that are younger than me, which is scary. But, um, but that being said, uh, you know, there is a wide variety of people and ages, and and you know, it, part of that too is like, it's easy when you're in a, you know, it, wherever you are in your career, especially like for us three, you know, we're, we're more, you know, we have a lot more experience under our belt. It's sometimes really easy to forget how hard it was when you didn't know much or, and then insecurities that come with that. Right. Because it was such right. a distant memory. And mm-hmm. so, because now it comes so naturally, like, under, you know, reading something and just grasping the big picture or, you know, summarize something really quickly or finding what's important or just how to interact with someone just off the cuff that you've never met before in a professional setting, right? Those kind of things, those skills, you know, we take for granted. And so I have to sometimes remind myself like who I'm dealing with and, you know, where they're, where they, where they could possibly be coming from. And especially not having that experience and then having insecurities on top of that, and then try to be like, Hey, you know, I'm gonna give you a little more patience, right. To work through. Um, And so that's part, that is a challenge. Um, and, and but Tracy's right, right? They they do come with a set of expectations. My wife and I talk about this all the time. You know, she's a fabulous nurse, but unfortunately, you know, in that profession, you're going to get a lot of new nurses a lot of times. So she's dealing with a lot of that too. And so they have that expectation of they have a lot of expectations. I, I think in some ways more so than maybe people of our generation when we were growing up about what what we we are owed or what we deserve. Not saying that it's right or wrong, right? I think psychological safety should be something that we are everyone is owed, no matter what generation or age. But I think when we came in, um, I know that it wasn't something I expected, right? That I I should be treated a certain way. It's like, hey, just treat me like, you know, I'm generation X, kind of in that zone. And it was mm-hmm. like, hey, just just let me do my job, and I'll I'll impress you, and that's all I need to do. I don't need you to like baby me in terms of. Please. Excited to be invited to sit at the table. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to observe. Whereas, if I were to come to the table now, and I don't mean at this age, I mean if I were to enter into my career, oh, I think I would definitely be more verbal right away. I have. Mm not cautioned, but I have mentored some new and career folks to say, hey, we're going into this situation. Here's what I want you to observe. Um, here's the kind of, here are the kind of potential landmines, like helping them prepare politically and then debriefing with them afterwards and helping them step into that newness of some of the big exposures. And I'm talking about, I like to bring really junior people into really senior level meetings. So they, as to the extent we can, so they can see it and experience it a bit. Um, I think there are a bunch of questions that are popping up um, and I'm going to, yep. Let's see what this one is. Oh gosh, this is tough. 
So how can organizations market themselves as psychologically safe to candidates in the job market? Yeah, it's a good question. (laughs) I think you just put it right there. Just join us. We're psychologically safe. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Tracy, I mean... Can you mark? Can you actually market yourself as psychologically safe? Should you market yourself as psychologically safe, or is it a manifestation of the culture that you have? Right. When somebody is checking yeah. into, right, they go out to, to fishbowl and glassing. You know, there are a number of different locations where they're going to get the real, the real story from mm-hmm. employees. So I, yeah, I, I, I think you kind of like start from within quite frankly. And I know that isn't a really good answer because it means you have to do some work internally. It will naturally come to the surface in your communications out to market. When I read, I just read, um, I was looking at a couple of different jobs. I was helping somebody who's um, fine tuning their resume. And I was looking at the different jobs. I could tell right away what a bit of the culture was like there just by the way that things were worded in terms of their openness, in terms of like a little bit of the jovial aspect of how things are written, even in the job invites. Um, so I don't know, I don't know quite how you market it because that's not my background, but back to authenticity. If a company is being its authentic self, it's going to show, right? What do you think, yeah. Carolyn? What do you think, Dong? <laughs> I'll look I agree. Them. I mean, I am in marketing and I can't imagine like saying, like you said, Tracy, market ourselves as psychologically safe. It's, it's a, either you are or you aren't, and it's going to come out. And when you, when people interview, but even the wording, you know, some of the articles that I read about psychological safety, um, some companies, a lot of companies are moving away from requiring even college degrees which ties into the psychological safety. This okay. is really. Because, I know where you're going. Okay. Help, help me here because we're running out of time. <laughs> um, certain roles require, ha, do require a certain amount of education, require a certain pedigree, require certain certifications and different certificate levels. There are absolutely places for that. And we now know that not every role requires, especially in R, where we work with technology, not everybody needs to have a computer science degree. Not everybody needs that. What we need are people who have aptitude for logical thinking, and we can, mm-hmm. we can help them to get the experience that they want. Why does that matter? If you're in an organization where everybody is expected to have education A, and you're coming in with a an alternate path, right? You've, you've had a different non-traditional career path. That's, that can be difficult for you coming in as well as for the people who are there, right? There's an impedance in what the expectations are and what their knowledge set would be. Not that anybody is more valuable or less valuable, but there's just an impedance in the experience set. That adds on to the psychological safety. If I'm the first person to come in with a non-traditional background, when I'm talking to folks, I'm going to be a little more quiet at first to try and seek out like, you know, what are all these brainiacs doing or what are all these XYZs doing or all these certified whoosies? Am I, I'm going to start to compare and contrast myself. I think I would feel inhibited a little bit, quite frankly. Yeah. So I, what I want to do, like I said, we're running out of time. This, it kills me that time goes by so quickly. I'd like to bring up, um, just a list of where to start with psychological safety. And we've touched on all of this, 
Um, you know, Dong, you talked about this right from the beginning. You start with your team, like a cultural change organization-wide is daunting. And we've, we've talked about, you know, you've, you've really just got to start with your team. But Dong, I would like you to speak to the second point is to model the values that you want to see, like such as openness and inclusion. And then you started us off with some vulnerability and you mentioned, you know, the need for that. Yeah. Um, I I guess to quickly talk about number two, we as people, we affect each other. And I think we believe that, oh yeah, you know, I'm my own person. I know who I am. And, but, you know, over time you, you know, you are this, the average of the people that you spend the most time with, right? That that's a car. And, and mm-hmm. so, so that, that means that, you know, we affect other people and people affect us. And so we want to be able to, I think we really make sure that we, if that's, if we want to make sure that we are open and inclusive and authentic, mm-hmm. and that's where, how we want to be, then we should do that and encourage others to do so and identify when people are, you know, either being authentic or vulnerable and, and recognizing it appropriately, or if they're not, or they're being, you know, if they're, they're being aggressive, microaggression to other people that call them out. Right. But also do it in a, in a way that that's professional as well. So I think those are some things that I, I can see that. Now I'm going to add a real quick nugget on there. Uh, a book that I just recently read was called ego free leadership, but I recommend it if somebody's not even leading yet, because I actually believe that everybody is leading in one way or another, by the way, but it, it, it really triggers you to think about, you know, the term microaggression that you used. It mm. triggers you to think about it as a human. Why am I reacting that way? Why am I, why do I, why don't I agree with Dong's uh, opinion? Um, why am I distancing myself from it? Or why am I dismissing that? Is it because it's actually a bad idea? Or is there something else in my ego that's hidden away, right? The ego that people don't see. Is there something there in my psyche that I'm reacting to it because it reminds me of, you know, something from my childhood or an experience that I had in college or with a prior uh, event? As I read that and started to apply that to my own uh, interactions with teams, I was really surprised. I don't think I'm massively biased, but at times I was like, I think I just dismissed that because it's a better idea than mine, right? And that's that's a, a, a huge thing. So I, I really recommend that book. It is called Ego Free Leadership, and it was written by I'll find the, the writers for it, but it was actually written by a uh, a coach like you have, Carolyn, um, and the person who is being coached. Uh, and it's, a, it's kind of a and just an honest soul bearing of these guys. Pretty cool. Well, and this list, it's funny because I, I put together this list prior to our conversation, but based on some conversations we'd had over email, but also like this book, Think Again by Adam Grant. Um, And he's a, I forget, a psychologist, an organizational psychologist. So there's a chapter in this book on psychological safety. And I teased these out of that chapter, but I realized like, these are things, Dong, that you said, and Tracy, both of you said, all through our conversation, like, this is where to start. This is what we have to have. And then that feedback thing back to what you've said multiple times, Dong. And I loved, he gave an example. He worked with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and he asked the leaders, Melinda being one of them, to share some difficult feedback (laughs) that they'd gotten. And one of her employees actually said that she, she got sick of 
Melinda Gates, she was too much like Mary effing Poppins. And so the leaders like shared some of this difficult feedback, yeah. which I thought was quite entertaining. But and what does that mean? I mean, I, I mean, the, that, that no, but that, I think that's what it was. Like, you're too perky. You're too happy. Oh. You're too up all the time. You're too positive Stop all the time. Perfect. Stop it. Too happy positive. Right. Show us your stress. <laughs> be real. Be human. Be right. Real. Yeah. And, and in that same, you know, conversation that Melinda had, she did open up and the employees responded. They're like, wow, she's a person. Like she shared that sometimes she doesn't understand everything that's being said and that kind of blew her employees away because mm-hmm. no, you know, they had no idea. And then Don, you actually responded, you know, there was a longer quote that you sent me, but basically that psychological safety is a long game. It's not a check, check off the box kind of thing. It's something that you do as a leader, you model as a leader and that you're really should constantly be thinking about, Right. Yeah, and, and that's in context to that that term I used earlier about complex adaptive systems, right? Every you know, we, we if, when you're in a large bureaucracy, you can only understand so much about the bureaucracy of the organization. Even the, the most senior person, that's head of the company, or the head CEO, he only has so much. You know, he's human. He only has so much bandwidth and time and understanding of what's going on. And so, I think the point of that is that it's we have to learn to empathize with each other in a way that. You know, you have to extend some trust that, hey, I, when, when someone comes to you with a problem or whatever, and they're someone that you don't really interact with or whatever, you you have to kind of think like, hey, maybe they, they know what they're talking about and that what their, their concerns are are genuine. Even if it's in context, maybe there's other things that may be factoring in that may, may not be whatever. But you have to kind of start in a place of like trust and empathy, even if you don't understand where they're coming from. And I think that's really yeah. the big picture of that. Empathy and be kind. Empathy and be kind. And if you're not a natural empathetic person, fake it. Try and think about what would an empathetic person do? Um, Because you'll be surprised. I have a, a very good friend and he has told me a dozen times, I am not an empathetic person. But you would, but he's, but he's becoming that because he's taking a pause and saying, well, what would an empathetic person say in this situation? So be kind be empathetic. That's a good start to psychological safety. We need so he's right almost now. he's almost sociopathic, except that he does. Reflect. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say he that. No, he okay. fakes not. Or that is Long. part of being a sociopath. Okay. So on that note, actually, I'm going to bring it around before I totally close. Well, this let off. me share this, Dong. That person okay. might support you with platform one. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, we're hiring. So, we're always hiring. So. <laughs> Well, and I, I want to bring it back to what you said earlier, Dong, about leaders in the military, that they have an objective. They say, here's what I want to accomplish. And then they trust the people around them to go do it and do it, you know, however they need to. And that is, that's a, be- that, that's a beautiful utopian <laughs> organization to be. So... Thank you very much, Nong, for taking time um, you. today. And honestly, just for our audience's benefit, I don't even think we got through the first three questions. On we did not. We did not. And that's wonderful. That's wonderful. This was an engaging, 
I took a lot from this. I learned things that I'm going to take out to the field today, today, and start to act on. So thank you both for just engaging in this conversation. And thanks for the audience for posting questions that really have me thinking about how we really project honesty about our psychological safety. Yeah. And, and Carolyn, I, I would love to be able to engage with your audience. And if they have more questions and if there's maybe a LinkedIn or something, we can I, more than happy to, you know, just even that asynchronously chat back. So that's a great idea. Uh, I'm not an expert in this area, but I, I think somebody's listening that is. So (laughs) (laughs) there's a whole bunch of lurkers around the edges who are going to help us to make that happen. Yes. The tech lurkers. Okay. All right. And listen to us on tech transforms and um, we'll, we'll see you next time. Thanks everybody. Thanks for joining tech transforms sponsored by Dynatrace. For more Tech Transforms, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. 